0: The Class of 2001 was hailed with a storm of lighting of fury on their entrance and exit from West Point. Graduating 101 days before the tragedy of 9-11, the Class of 2001 served as junior military officers during the initial phases of the War on Terror and increasing positions of influence over the next 20 years. Bound together for four years in school and together in service to our nation and their communities, These are the stories of those graduates as we look through the gray.
1: On this episode of Through the Gray, we'll be speaking with Jeff Fuller. Jeff grew up in a small town in Ohio with big dreams to see and experience the world. Jeff was exposed to West Point early in life and even visited the barracks when his uncle was a cadet. His early preparation and focus earned him a nomination and acceptance to the academy, but it did not prepare him for the breadth of the journey he was about to embark on. Jeff branched field artillery and posted to Germany with the expectation of being deployed to Kosovo for peacekeeping operations, but stayed in Germany as a part of an armored task force prepared to deploy to Iraq in support of the 173rd Airborne Brigade. Jeff would deploy to northern Iraq early in 2003 with the 173rd Airborne Brigade and again in 2004 with the 1st Infantry Division. Jeff would serve in multiple countries across the globe and serve in various positions with the artillery branch in support of the U.S. Army, the Joint Force, and the Multinational Forces. This is the first half of his story. Through the Gray has a new sponsor, Alpha Coffee. Alpha Coffee is a veteran and military spouse co-owned and operated company dedicated to offering their customers amazing coffee, promoting the warrior lifestyle, and providing the highest levels of service and giving back to our military and veterans. I've been drinking their Warrior Select and Double Barrel Black Brews for the past two weeks, and there is nothing more comforting on a cold gray day in the Pacific Northwest or at West Point than a smooth cup of dark coffee. Please support this company, and when you purchase either on Amazon or on their website, alpha.coffee.com. Use our promo code through the gray. Thank you. Welcome to through the gray. We're speaking with Jeffrey Fuller. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm great. Thanks, Joe. So, first question:
0: Why West Point? Yeah, uh, I, I grew up in a you know a, a pretty small town in Ohio. Um, you know, our the, the the sign driving into we didn't even call it a town; it was a village, um, but you know, ad- advertised a, a population of about 1,400 people. Um, and, you know, going through high school, we were a, a pretty uh, a homogenous population. Um, and, you know, I, I credit my parents with, you know, sh- doing a lot to, to show me what else was out there in, in the world. Uh, my dad would always take us on these, these big, long, three-week road trip vacations uh, out to other parts of the, the U.S., um, my mom was a, a Spanish teacher at the high school that I, I went to, and um, you know, once a year, she would she would take the um, the foreign language club at the high school on on a trip, uh, you know, to Europe or to Mexico, and would always come back and you know recount everything they they had seen. And uh, I, I, a big part of it was, you know, I just wanted to you know get out and uh, out of the small town, out of Ohio. Uh, and, and see what else was was out there. And so as I, I looked at options to do that, um, you know, the, the the army obviously the easy one. You know, go out, see the world, uh, get to do what you want. Uh, and and then um, I, I had an uncle that was 14 years older than me, and so he was kind of the, my first introduction to West Point. He got recruited to go uh, play golf at, at West Point, but he's you know 14 years older than me. Um, there's a, a, a lot of time between his time at West Point and when I thought about it, but I, I still remember in uh, it, was, it was fifth or sixth grade. Um, a, an, another student uh, that had, that had gone to our school had also gone to West Point uh, and came back to talk to us while he was still a, a cadet, uh, and you know, told us about his experiences there, what he learned. So, um, in, in terms of you know a, a way to go to the army yet still go to college uh, which was important to me i started looking at that uh, a, a lot more as an option uh, and then i think it was, it was freshman year of high school they had the one big bulletin board that had all the you know the colleges with the the, the tear-off cards you could you could send in to, to get more information and one day I walked by that and, and saw west point up there so as a um, as a freshman, I figured, well, let's send off a card and, and, and see what what comes back from that. And you know, it's the 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 typical, hey, here's a quick questionnaire, fill it out. So I was like, oh well, yeah, I'll fill that out too. And you know, got the answer back of, hey, it's a little too early to uh, to start applying to West Point. Um, you know, but here here's some information. But but that um, you know, between the, the the brochures that I that I got. Uh, I looked into it a little bit more. I, I'd, I'd been up there once to visit my uncle when he was still a, a cadet, but, um, you know, we saw the, the golf course. I remember looking into the, the, the mess hall and, um, you know, at one point, um, uh, he actually took me up to his room, I still remember going by the CQ desk. And I don't know how he, you know, pulled that off probably just cause I was a little kid at the time. Um, but you know, that, that was the extent of my exposure to the academy um, but I knew it was it was something different uh, it was something that would would take me out of Ohio and, and give me the op- opportunity to uh, get to college and then you know get me out to see something uh, something other than Ohio after I, I graduated so it was, it was good education good opportunities um, and, and so I, I, I kept at it and uh, made sure I had all the, the classes lined up that, that I would need as I learned more about you know what the uh, admissions department was was looking for in, in terms of a, a well-rounded person, academically, physically, community involvement. Uh, made sure I was I was hitting all the the marks there, and um, very fortunate at, at somebody at some point somebody said, "Listen, you don't have to be you know the best at everything you do, um, but they want to see that you you put in an effort to be." Um, Broadly focused in terms of not just academics, not just sports, not just community involvement, uh, and, and if and if you can show you know drive and some amount of success in in, in each of those, then you know you've got a, a pretty good shot. So when, once it came to uh, you know end of junior year, beginning of senior year, I, I went ahead and, and, and did the full application and, and then applied for the early admissions process uh, and come October of, of senior year, I had the, the the letter in the mail saying, you know, you've been conditionally accepted. Now just get yourself a uh, congressional nomination and and pass the uh, the medical screening and you're good to go. And, you know, I, I still had backups. Um, I also got a, an Army ROTC scholarship. Uh, I had started applying to the Air Force Academy, but uh, prior to sitting down to start the uh, the essays that were part of that application, I got the acceptance from West Point, so decided I, I didn't want to write anymore and uh, left that one by the wayside. Uh, and, and then I also had a, an acceptance to University of Cincinnati and a, a, um, an offer of a, a scholarship there. But um, that that was the you know fallback safety net if if something didn't go right with the uh, congressional. Uh, nomination or the, the medical screening. But, you know, once I, once I got that, that letter, uh, in October, it was, you, you know, pretty much tunnel vision of, all right, th- this is, this is what I'm going to do. Talk
1: me through going to West Point, um, and that, that first summer of Beast barracks.
0: So for, for someone who was so hyper-focused on going to West Point, uh, and wanting to be in the army, I knew surprisingly little about how anything worked. I mean, I, I'd seen the videos of you know kind of how West Point worked, but having a, a full understanding of how the uh, the the Army worked, I was uh, woefully unprepared uh, for that piece. You know, go, going to West Point the. Uh, um, you know, go beast barracks and all that, it was like, yep, yeah, you know, it, it, it may suck, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, you know, especially I was not going to be uh, the, you know, the, the person that came crawling back to my, my tiny hometown uh, because I couldn't tough it out through through that. So I, I was determined to get through that. But what I found out is I knew nothing about the Army. Uh, I think that, that for me was harder than, you know, Waking up early, going to to run the the physical stuff. Um, you know, I, I I toughed it through that. Uh, what I what I kind of struggled with was just understanding how the army worked, and I, I still remember. You know, we had to memorize all the and, and be able to describe all the the army ranks. And, and at, at one point, you know, asking my B squad leader the question of you know, I I knew we came in, we got commissioned. We started as a second lieutenant. I was under the impression, uh, prior to beast that, you know, if if you didn't go to West Point, you could still follow the same career path. You just had to go through all the enlisted ranks before you could get up to, to, to second lieutenant. And and remember asking the question is like, okay, so after somebody gets through, you know, master sergeant, sergeant major, what's, you know, do, do they have to then go to another school before they get to become a second lieutenant? Or is it just a, you know, an automatic, that's the the next promotion and, and you know, the look I got, um, <laughs> I, the fact that I asked a question like that in, in beast barracks, um, I think I was lucky that the squad leader was just so dumbfounded by the fact I would ask a question like that, um, was, you know, is, is, is what prevented me from just getting, mercilessly hazed, uh, for, for any amount of time, but, you know, through the, you know, the support of classmates, that, that, that was kind of the, you know, getting the answer that I was like, all right, maybe I need to look a little more into this army thing in terms of, you know, people would ask me what I wanted to do. My, my, my knowledge of, of what the different branches did a, a fair understanding of r- artillery. Uh, and, and so I kind of gravitated towards that. Cause that's what, that's what my uncle had done. Um, but I was also thinking chemical core, but that was based off of you know something I had seen in a movie years before, not understanding what a what a chemical officer does, uh, anything like that. So I I think the, the 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 biggest learning curve for me was hey, you made this decision kind of blindly, uh, not having any idea what you do on the back end. Maybe may, you've, you've got to really buckle down and memorizing Schofield's definition of discipline was was easy. It was, you know, figuring out what the army actually did, um, beyond my, my, my few and shallow touch points with it prior to getting to West Point. So what part
1: of that experience, whether it was beast, whether it was Buckner, whether it was CTLT, when did you really kind of grasp the scope or was it, after you were commissioned that you really started to grasp the scope of how big the army is and how big its mission is?
0: Yeah. I, I think the, you know, when it re- really, really kicked in was, was probably during the, the academic year once that started and once we got to start having regular interactions um, with our professors who were all military officers who would regularly tell us about, you know, their experiences in the army, you know, uh, across all the different branches um, and, and getting to hear some of their experiences as, you know, platoon leaders, as, as former, uh, company commanders, um, that, that first year of, um, uh, intercession, uh, when we got back from, from Christmas, when we, you know, did all the, uh, the map reading, some, some basic planning, and they, they brought, uh, more NCOs in, uh, to talk to us about it, that that's when I, you know, really started to, Grasp what it was that, that that we would be doing, and then that just continued to build, uh, you know, throughout our time there. So it, it was never a uh, you know question of of is this what I want to do. Uh, it, it was okay. Now I need to learn more about it so I can figure out exactly what I want to do because it's it's uh, you know there there are some choices in, involved in that, uh, and I wanted to make sure I made a you know an educated decision on what I was going to do uh, after West Point in, in, terms of, um, in terms of the army and then, you know, CTLT, uh, which I did the summer uh, prior to, to Cal year, you know, really kind of solidified that and, and, you know, getting to go out and be a part of, uh, a, a unit was, um, if I wasn't sure before, I was definitely sure after that, that, yeah, this, this is the, 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 the right choice, you know, it, Fortunately, I got to go to an artillery unit, which was what I wanted to do. Um, I had to do it at Fort Sill, which which wasn't necessarily my, my first choice for, for location and was always envious of the people that would come back from, you know, CTLT in Alaska, Hawaii, Germany, uh, elsewhere. Um, but I, I was fortunate that I was in a, a good unit. They threw me right into it. Uh, we had a lot of great NCOs that were more than willing to, you know, take us under their wing uh, and, and answer any questions we had, uh, interacting with soldiers about, you know, why they had joined, uh, why they were choosing to stay in, why they were getting out. So, you know, I had a full, uh, you know, full gamut of experiences thrown at me for, you know, what other people, uh, what, what drove them to either stick with it uh, or uh, dis- decide to move on. So, um, it, it was really after that point that, you know, I, I had a, 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 much clearer understanding of, you know, what I, what I was getting into, you know, some of the, uh, not necessarily some of the hardships, but you know, what some of the, the tests would be of, of, of my resolve. And, you know, then the last two years there at West Point could, you know, really prepare and then start focusing my efforts at, um, uh, eventually becoming an artillery officer. What was probably the hardest or the
1: lowest period that you had at West Point?
0: I would probably say yearly near. Um, When I, I, you know, I came from a very small town, uh, but I was very fortunate that I had a lot of great teachers uh, as as small as our our school was. Um, They had all the you know the chemistry classes, the physics classes, uh, ad- advanced math, language—that uh, that really prepared me very well for the the academics at West Point. So, as, as a result, you know, plebe year when it came to, you know, the, the the first time, and I've listened to other of our classmates talk about, you know, figuring out how you balance your time. Um, between academics, between military, between the you know the physical aspects of, of being at West Point, um, I was really well prepared for the academics piece, uh, and and so I was able to kind of coast through that and coast through it very successfully, which then gave me uh, a lot of extra time to focus on the the military side of it uh, and the 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 physical side of it, and I thought you know this is going to be a, a breeze. Transitioned to yearling year um, and now um, You know the 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 one year of physics that I had in high school Got me through about the you know the the first first quarter of physics class at at, at, uh, West Point Um, I I Decided that you know, I wanted to be a chemistry major early and and so they offered us the option of taking organic chemistry in uh, Yearling year uh, which was wildly different from, you know, the the chemistry I'd done in high school and and what we all have to take plebe year, um, the the more in depth, um, you know, broader variety of, of of classes that we had to take that I wasn't as prepared for, and so suddenly, after coasting through through plebe year uh, and dumb luck being fairly successful, I went into yearling year, and and that's when I first had to, you know, make the, the, the hard choices of, you know, now how do I balance all, all this time where a lot of, a lot of our classmates had, you know, had to figure that out. plebe beer. I was doing it yearly year and, and it was a, a huge, uh, wake up call and, and kind of a shock because, uh, suddenly I, I wasn't as successful, you know, for the first time I'm getting season classes, um, uh and, and because i'm now having to spend more time in classes things are slipping uh on the you know the the physical side and the, the amount of time i have to you know spend with the the martial arts team uh the amount of time i have to, to spend in the gym uh or the amount of time i had to do the you know the the military stuff uh that that, that kept the tax off your back um and and i struggled and i i went from you know being within the, you know, top 40 or 50 in in the class, you know, everything slipped, um, as, as I struggled with, you know, how do I manage all the things that now are equally demanding of my time? Um, and, and, you know, the, the GPA slipped way down and it was, it was kind of the, holy crap, this is, this is not going to be as, as easy as I thought it was. Um, and, and so, you know, I came out of, out, out of yearling years, like the, you know I'm, I'm still gonna finish this out but you know this this might be a, a, a bit of a struggle if I don't you know figure out how to manage my time set my priorities uh, because you know everything can't be a priority anymore um, and um, you know struggled a little with that at uh, during during Buckner um, you know getting used to that that light infantry mentality um, it, you know, I, again, just went into it uh, a little ignorant and not as you know, thought I could coast through that. Well, nope, there was a learning curve involved with that. Um, and, you know, kind of, at least in, in my mind, I, 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 saw, you know, the results of everything slipping during yearling year as, as to why, you know, I didn't get my first choice for, a uh, military school, the, the summer after yearling year for, you know, again, I got, I got my first choice for, for branch for CTLT, but, you know, ended up at, at at Fort Sill, uh, vice somewhere, somewhere cool, like Hawaii or really anything other than Sill. Um, and, you know, wondered if I could, you know, ever, ever come back from that or if, you know, the decisions I had made, um, yearly near were were then going to, you know, kind of set my future because everything's tied to, you know, where you fall out in, in, in rank when it comes to, you know, branch selection, post night and, and all that. Um, so th- th- that was kind of a, a rude awakening uh, and, and the morale was uh, understandably a, a, a little lower uh, at, at the end of that year, uh, wondering if, you know, at least in my mind, I could, you know, come back from uh, having let myself slip for for the better part of a year. What turned it around? Um, I, I, I give a lot of credit to, um, you know, the fact that cow year, you got more into our, um, more into our, our, uh, our major. Uh, so as classes that we were choosing vice classes that were being chosen for us, um, but on the academic side, it, it, at least, um, it, it was quantitative chemical analysis, uh, Dr. Biaglo, um, and, uh, my my buddy in that class, uh, and still friend to this day, Jason Burris. We were we were in that class together, um, and I, I I realized that I, I, prior to that I had never asked for help, you know, with with anything, um, and to to this day I can't figure out you know the why behind it, but I was just determined, you know, I was going to do this on my own, uh, and in that that class we we're getting up to our, our first big test um Jason had gone out the night before uh and was you know extremely hungover in in class that day uh Dr. Biaglo would always offer um uh, you know or started offering prior to a test um, cuz it was it was a 2 hour a, a two period class um but the the academic portion if we didn't have a lab going on was you know, just the, the first hour. So most days, you know, you you got that second hour back. But he would always offer to stay behind with uh, with anybody prior to a test and and work through um, anything you needed to and and review for the, the the test ahead. So that day, you know, I I was like, nope, I'm you know getting my hour back to my myself. Jason was like, I you know told me he's like I I could barely stay focused during during the class so I'm, go- I'm gonna stick around for the second one um, and um, that that evening he uh, he hit me up uh, we were in the same barracks at that time he came downstairs and was like hey I stayed for that second class let's let's go over the you know the notes that dr. Biaglo gave me you know as, as we prep for the test and so he sat down and worked through that with me um, and and showed me everything and and what we quickly learned was the secret was that Dr. Briaglo in, in that prep session for anybody who was willing to put forth that that little bit of extra effort or or ask the question uh he worked through the test problem during that prep session um and and so that was that was kind of the you know open the door to oh like here here are some some professors that are you know, proactively offering the, the help to anybody who's willing to take it. Um, so I started going to all those those prep sessions and my, my grades started to come back up and I was able to extrapolate that, you know, I could do the same even if they weren't offering it but all the professors were were willing to, you know, if, if you were wanted to sit down with them and, and spend the time, they would give you everything you needed to, to be successful. That There was a, a huge support network out there. Um, that, that was willing to to help you out and and so you know that really got my my grades back on track um, and you know kind of gave me hope that you know you just have to ask for it it's it's not that hard there's there's people here that want you to uh succeed and and don't want your life to be difficult the, the entire time what was the best moment or the best memory um i i mean there's I, there there are are several and I, I I don't think I have a you know anything that stands out as you know this is the you know the the best time that I, I had there you know I I look back uh, very fondly as, you know Cal year once we got settled in our our, our companies uh, after the scramble uh, and, and really found you know the the core group of friends you know first among those being Jason Burris now Dr Burris. Um, the, um, you know, just the, I, I, I guess kind of the, the, the moments away from the academy away from, you know, that the academic life that we, uh, you know, just kind of figure out as, as we went and whether it was, you know, Hey, let's this weekend go down and, and barbecue down at, uh, at South dock and just, you know, spending a Saturday relaxing and hanging out down there, or, you know, hopping on a train, going to uh, to New York City, I, I, I can't think of, hey, this this is one time or one moment that, you know, just stands out above everything else um, while I was at West Point. But I, I had a lot of, you know, just great experiences of, um, you know, spending time with, with classmates, getting out to uh, see things that I, I would have never imagined being able to do. Um, as a as a kid in in small town ohio um whether that was you know going out to uh salt lake city utah for uh for a summer is to you know work with uh, one of the chemistry department professors at university utah uh, and and seeing um you know salt lake city and park city utah uh, getting to you know go catch a, a broadway Play uh, one one weekend, um, or you know, like a night before 500th night or something like that uh, with, with with friends. Just the the experience itself, and you know the the opportunities that being at West Point offered for a, a small town kid from Ohio um, was the you know the the best part about being there. So graduation, uh, selection of FA
1: for a branch, and posting to germany talk me through your experience at uh the officer basic course and then uh going to germany
0: yeah um the you know germany or or you know I'm, i want again i don't know if it's a theme of trying to get as far away from ohio as i as i i could uh it wasn't anything bad there that I, I was trying to avoid i just you know knew i wanted to see as much as i could while the the army was willing to to let me do it so you know one of the things that was, was driving me to, to do better academically and just across the board at West Point was, uh, you know, I I wanted a shot at one of those, those overseas assignments, uh, and, and not Korea, uh, given, given the option. Um, my, my uncle, his, his first assignment had been in uh, a different part of Germany, uh, with, with the artillery. And, and so that was kind of, What I knew as a a possibility. So I was, you know, I was bound and determined to make that happen and and got one of the last slots for for first ID in Germany on um, on post night Um, Got got to OBC uh, And and I think that that was, you know, similar to when I went to Fort Silver for for CTLT um, You know solidifying, you know, the you know wanting to be be in the army um, that that kind of solidified for me you know my my choice to to, to be artillery um, did did well at uh, all the classes uh, that, that were there uh, wasn't wasn't shooting for for honor graduate but we got to the the end of it and, and uh, I, I wasn't the honor graduate um, but learned that hey this is something I could Fairly easily pick up. It was a lot of a lot of math uh, for the artillery part, and then the the creative side with the the fire support, um, you know, clicked with me. I, I like that. Had had some great uh, OBC instructors uh, while we were there, and was was doing well. But then, you know, while, while most of us were at, at OBC, you know, nine eleven hit, um, and I, I still remember being in the, the the basement of Snow Hall. We were on a a, a break. Uh, from class and there was a little bookstore slash cafe where we'd all go hang out and you know grab something to eat and at the, the time we could or you know just get out of the the classroom and uh, was browsing something in one of the aisles and uh, somebody pointed at the tv that they had running up there and you know we saw the plane had run into one of the towers and you know initial thoughts were man that's a that's a, a terrible accident and uh how could something like that happen? And then, uh, while we were, you know, there watching it still on break, uh, the second one hit, and that was the realization that this, you know, this this wasn't just a a, a random terrible accident. This was was something intentional. Uh, and you know, from from that point on, you know, the we we first got back to the the class, and um, you know, everybody was talking about it, but it, it still hadn't really. Uh, You know what exactly had happened hadn't worked its way through through everybody yet, but I remember by the um, by the end of that day, because we were in the fire support phase of the uh, the OBC training, and we had a an amazing um, uh, captain and major uh, in in the form of Dave Flynn, who had who had come to OBC to teach out of uh, you know from being a a fire support officer in the, the Ranger Regiment. Um, and, you know, sat us all down and, you know, gave us the, the hard talk of, hey, if, if if it wasn't clear what you've signed up for and, and what this job requires of you before, uh, it absolutely is now. Uh, and um, you saw that really sink in uh, with the class and it did for me. And, and you know, I, I hadn't been blowing off classes prior to that, but... Uh, it really gave meaning to, to what we were learning, especially as a, as a uh, you know, a fire support officer, uh, being one of my, my future job possibilities. Um, you know, just the, the intentionality that that brought to everything we were doing there uh, because we knew that there was a good chance. And even before we left, some people already knew that we're, you know, going to 18th Airborne Corps or somewhere like that, that, you know, they were showing up and they were deploying right away. Um, to Afghanistan, but just the uh, the the rigor that went into the classes and, and seeing kind of everybody uh, across the board uh, up, up their game uh, from students to in- instructors because um, you know b- before that you know the the basic assumption was you, you'll go out and do your army time your your biggest test every couple of years was going to be an NTC rotation uh, and and that was the the main you know, litmus test for uh, how you did as, a, as an officer. Um, the, the 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 stakes of what was going to be the test in the in the future went went way up after that. Did that tone from the the basic course?
1: Did that carry over when you went to Germany? Did you feel in the same the same way when you hit those units?
0: I, I think we all showed up, but then quickly realized, uh, b- because Afghanistan was the only thing going on at the time. Uh, and, and so we got to Germany, and Germany did not have the, the same mentality. Afghanistan was a, was a light fight. Uh, up to that point, you know, initially when they went in, they didn't take any artillery with them. Um, and, and so then being a, uh, a mechanized artillery officer in, in Germany, uh, that, that wasn't airborne, wasn't light. Um, the, it, it kind of faded away and yeah, we kept tabs on what was going on over there, but it was, um, the, you know, the general understanding was, you know, that is not, that is not Europe's fight and it's definitely not a, a heavy fight. Um, so at at that time in Germany, and one of the reasons I still wanted, I, I wanted to go there in the first place is because that's where everybody was rotating over to Kosovo and Kosovo being the, really the, the only game in town prior to, to 9-11 uh, figured it'd be a good opportunity to get some some real experience and you know credit a lot to to general abiza who left us to eventually become the the first id commander uh and 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 seeing some of the reports at west point of you know things his division was doing in in kosovo um but yeah we you know we thought that well one nobody thought Afghanistan would last as long as it did, and we're kind of resigned to the fact that we're, we're not going to get pulled over to that, and it will probably be done, um, you know, before we'd ever get the opportunity uh, to go somewhere else to to do that. So uh, it, it for for us, it, it kind of fell back into the um, well. Okay, we're we're going to go through all our tables. We're gonna we're going to do our training, uh, and at some point we'll get a. Uh, a CTC rotation at, at Uh, but that, that's kind of the, and we, you know, we'll, we'll probably go to Kosovo at some point, but we're, we're probably going to miss out on the, the, the bigger fight. So there's a little bit of resignation with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we still had a mission and you know, we were, we were going to do it and we were going to do it well because one, that's what we were getting paid to do. But, but two, we, you know, had that just that professional pride of, uh Right, if, if if I can't go be the uh, the best combat officer in, in Afghanistan, then uh, you know we're we're going to be the you know the best non combat officers we can in, in Germany. Um, so the yeah the like I said the the focus faded away. But then you know we, we start getting ready for a uh, our, our rotation over to Kosovo. Uh, and and that, that brought a little purpose back. Now, vastly different mission. We knew that, you know, as artillery officers, we were probably gonna be more along the lines of um, uh, effects type officers, because that seemed to be what uh, most of our, uh, or the, the older lieutenants that had been on a Kosovo rotation before uh, ended up doing, especially if they were fire support officers. We knew if, if we were back in the artillery battalion at, at that point, you know, we would do a more platoon leader role with some, uh, you know, presence patrols out, out through the towns, things like that. Um, so that that's that's what we started preparing for. Uh, and I, I was over there with with Jim Gifford at at the time, as our, our other classmate, uh, and and we were spinning up and and getting ready for that. And um, it was it was about a, a week. I think a week before the, the mission readiness exercise that everybody was going to do in, uh, in Grafenbeer or at Hohenfels Uh, and I got pulled into the, uh, the office, um, with the, uh, you know, the captain that was running our fire support detachment in Vilsack at that time. Uh, it, we, we had just gotten through, um, our, our battalions, our, uh, armor companies, um, mm-hmm. big Calfax, uh, that we were doing, which was a, a great experience, you know. I I was out there being a, a, a real FSO, uh, calling in mortars and artillery as the as the tankers moved moved along the the range, and uh, you know, in, in, engaged the pop up targets. But it was it was, it was just a, a a great event. So I was still loving what I was doing. Um, but they called me in, and, and uh, about a week after I'd gotten done with that, and one of the other battalions had gone through, and they said, hey. Things didn't go so well for one of the other FSOs. Uh, he's getting getting moved, and uh, you and Lieutenant Gifford are are now going to uh, get moved over to um, to to new companies. And these were companies that weren't lined up for the the Kosovo mission. They were they were staying back, uh, and I was I was devastated because you know once again, you know the 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 one. One fight or one show that I, th- I thought I was going to get to be a part of uh, now now wasn't going to happen. And uh, the good thing was I got to do a, a second uh, a, a second live fire iteration. But at, at the end of the day, we were bummed. And as, as, as we as we dug into it more and found out the why behind it uh, and, and why this one battalion task force was was not going to Kosovo is because they had picked up the intermediate ready task force mission for, for Europe. Um, so they were on standby as, as a, as a heavy force to go anywhere Europe needed to, to, to react to contingencies, which, you know, we thought, you know, okay, what, what contingencies are we going to have to deal with in, in Europe, uh, at this time? Uh, and so we, we pushed back a little on that bit on that and the answer we got was, well, things are starting to, you know, bubble up in Iraq. There, there's a possibility that you could you, you know, you might be having to go to Iraq. So they want to make sure that they've got, um, they've got fire support officers. Um, so you and Jim are, are going to stay back with that. Well, the rest of the brigade, you know, goes to Kosovo. And he was kind of laughing like, yeah, right. Like they're going to, they're going to send a, a, a single, you know, the, still back in the days of everything was a, a, a division fight uh, or, you know, a, a brigade fight at the, at the least, but, you know, typically, the Army wasn't sending at least to to big events you know division was a unit of action so we're like, yeah right they're gonna send a, a random battalion task force to, to Iraq without a division headquarters uh, under or over top of it uh, but then you know a, a few months after everybody left for for Kosovo and we were kind of back there figuring out what to do with ourselves um, the the talk about that picked up and so, Uh, you know, it it was, it was kind of neat that, you know, Jim and I were really left to our own devices on, you know, running our, our fire support teams and, and training them up while everybody else was gone. Uh, and, and we, we got pretty creative. Um, I I think we enjoyed the, the downtime, uh, maybe about a month and then, then we got bored. So, uh, he and I kind of got together and like, okay, what, what, what should we be doing? Um, and then, you know, how, how can we do it, you know, just, you know, between us and our NCOs, figure out how to, to make this happen. So, you know, be, between him and I, we, uh, we developed our own fire support certification tables because we had, we had done one with the, the battalion while it was there. So we had a, you know, an idea of, of how it, it should run. Uh, we both learned a lot about maintenance because we were the, uh, no, nobody was going to hold us accountable for the, the maintenance of our equipment except ourselves. Uh, and it, it was kind of a cool opportunity to, uh, in a, a low threat environment, cause we didn't have anybody over, over top of us that was going to tell us we were doing it wrong to, you know, just really get out there and, and, and figure things out uh, on, you know, how you run and, and, and train a unit. So we, we started doing that. And then sure enough, um, t- d- despite what our, our, our best, uh, military advices uh second second lieutenants uh w- was was telling everybody else uh we sure enough got activated uh, and got the word that hey 173rd is gonna jump in and secure an airfield uh in the north of iraq and the uh, the irtf uh, uh task force 163 armor um is is going to fly in the afterwards to provide them with uh, with mechanized support uh, for the the defense of that airfield. And next thing you know, we're moving, we're going up and uh, getting the equipment set ready, moving stuff up to the the airfield at Ryan Ordnance Barracks. And before you know it, you know we were we were sitting in the the holding area uh, up at at Ryan Ordnance Barracks just waiting for, uh, waiting for the C-17s to become available so we could, we could fly in and, uh, go to Iraq. Were you ready? Yes. I, now I, I, I say that because of all of the, the, the training we had, we had done. Um, and, and I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we got bored and I'm glad we just didn't sit there and say, hey, you know what? Nobody's telling us to do anything. We've got a, a, a great opportunity to, to just, you know, be lazy and, and enjoy free time. Uh, you know, we, we had taken our teams out. We had, we had practiced call for fires. Jim and I got, uh, I, I don't know how we did it, um, but we not only got access to the, the call for fire trainer there on Vilsec, um, but we got the guys to, to teach us how to run it which i think they appreciated because then they didn't have to be in there they were still getting paid but you know we we had free access to that anytime we wanted to to schedule it so uh a couple days a week we would take our teams over there and, and practice our call for fires um it, it being a uh fso and a, a armor company um you know we had our one fist b which was the you know the precursor to the, the b fist and not a not a great piece of uh, equipment but you know, unlike a um, an infantry company, light or mechanized, we didn't have FO teams. It, it was me and uh, an NCO and two dudes uh, that had this one vehicle. And so we couldn't be uh, everywhere on the battlefield. One of our big things was, you know, we started running call for fire training for the, for the tankers. Uh, and we got to do that. So, you know, taking the classes uh, I've always found is... Um, you know, helpful, helpful for me to learn, but to, to gain mastery of something, you know, getting the, the, the reps and sets, the in-depth knowledge that you need to teach it uh, is, is what, you know, takes you to that, that next level. And, and not, not by design, just by luck again, because we were bored and wanted to make sure everybody had what they needed. We, you know, we started teaching uh, call for fire classes to the, to the tankers, to the infantry, to the battalion staff. Uh, so we got e- even even more reps in there. Um, you know, we, we developed our own fist certifications to take everybody out and, you know, practice land nav, practice uh, using our, our systems, um, both mounted and, and dismounted, which was, was good because, you know, we didn't take our fist bees with us. Uh, they weren't part of the equipment set, and they weren't reliable enough anyway, um, mechanically. Uh, but, you know, we, we'd had the the, the training now. We got there. Um, you know, we we watched 173rd jump in the airfield on, on the news uh, while we were waiting to, to fly in, um, and and then because of the the high demand of C-17s, we actually got delayed a little bit um, and, and spent like an extra two weeks at Ryan Ordnance Barracks um, because the the C-17s had had hit their um, hit their maximum flight hours and had to go through phase maintenance before they could you know get us in there. Um, so we, we flew in, uh, you know, probably a week after 173rd had, had jumped into the airfield. Um, and so there, there, was, there was no fight there on the ground. We had, we had practiced. We had rehearsed for, you know, how we were going to set up the fence around the airfield. We had the, the fire support plan to uh, support that. Um, but, but when we got there, we are like, hey, no, no fight here. Um, you're you're going to go south. Uh, and, and so within, within a day of landing there, we were on the road heading, heading south, uh, and over, over the court, it, 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 only took us a day to go from, uh, uh, from Bercher, Uh, then we stopped off in Herbil, uh, and, you know, set up a, a perimeter uh, outside of there. And we were there for about four or five days and said, Hey, no, no fight here. Uh, the, the special ops guys have, have this area taken care of. And we were up in Kurdistan as well. Um, and, and so there was, there was no resistance, uh, that we faced by the time we got there. Uh, and so like keep going South. And, uh, we got back on the road and next place we landed was, uh, was Kirkuk at the airfield there. And, um, and that's where we ended up setting up, uh, shop. But again, you know, we were still, now we're on the border, uh, of, uh, with, you know, between what's traditionally Kurdistan and, and what's Iraq, but it was primarily Kurdish. And, you know, the, these weren't people that were, were trying to uh, to get rid of this or trying to preserve a regime. They were very excited that uh, uh, Saddam was no longer in power uh, and uh, had, a, had a big desire to, to get back to, to normal now. It could have been a, a, a pretty big fight because as part of our time there, you know, we went out and set up some TCPs in the the mountains north of uh, Kirkuk on the roads leading into the the city. And you know, when we weren't on uh, weren't running guard duty or in charge of a shift, my uh, fire support NCO and I uh, would take the Humvee up through the the, the mountains, and, and you know, it was, it was nothing but. You know, dug-in fighting positions uh, the, across the entire range of the mountains, but they were also full of you know, abandoned uniforms, equipment, um, everything that had been left behind because uh, the, uh, the, the guys up there weren't Republican guard. Uh, they were just re- regular Iraqi conscripts. And, and once the, the special forces guys started moving down, uh, and with the, the air support that they brought, uh, they very quickly decided they wanted no part of that fight. So they just dropped everything and, uh, took off their uniforms and blended back into the, the, the population, which, you know, we learned w- within about a year, uh, was, was a, a bigger problem than we, we thought. But when we got there, there, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, and, and so we had to, we were, we were prepared for the, uh, for a fight, um, but you know as as a lieutenant, it was unfortunately now with with some perspective fortunately we we never had to uh, apply that so we we pretty quickly quickly uh, you know started the uh, nation building advise and assist type aspect of trying to get you know Kirk Cook back on its its feet and up and running.
1: How are you and your team utilized in in that role
0: so i i've I've always Kind of fallen into, you know, I'll, I'll get hired to do one job, but end up just kind of falling into uh, another one. So in uh, in, in in Kirkuk, um, we hadn't brought forward the uh, uh, the armor company XO because um, we were limited on, you know, what we could bring and who we could bring uh, because of, you know, there's only only so much that can fit on an aircraft, and even less so when you throw a tank on it, um, and so. Uh, you know, we had a couple of platoon leaders, uh, but we didn't have an XO. So the, the armor company commander said, "Hey, you know, I like that you're my fire support officer, but what I really need right now is is an XO." Um, and, and so uh, I I very quickly you know learned about the the, the 026 report about tank maintenance, uh, and, and I was the you know the functioning XO for, for that armor company while I was there. Um, Jim, who was with the, uh, the infantry company, um, they had a lot more people with them, so they had a, a bigger to pool to choose from. He ended up, uh, going out and he was running, um, badging for, uh, contractors that were going to be working within the, 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 government building. Uh, so he, he started setting that up and, you know, Jim and I were only there for, uh, for, for four months and you know, this is pre-stop loss uh, stop move days. Um, everything was still a little more fluid. So after we had been there about four months, uh, our battalion commander, who was now back from, from Kosovo called forward and was like, Hey, I've got, you know, some new lieutenants that uh, need to get fire support time. And, uh, the two lieutenants you've got, um, need to get their, their platoon time. I'm going to switch them out. And that's, that's all it took. And everybody said, okay, uh, we'll, we're we're good with that, um, and and so you know as as we were starting to 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 figure out you know what uh, what needed to be done to you know rebuild and reestablish the the Kirkuk government, um, and, and they started pulling around for you know who has any kind of special skills. So you know Jim and I are you know thinking through like well we've had a you know we've got chemistry degrees we've got nuclear engineering tracks. Because uh, we were both both chemistry majors, uh, you know, they were basically pulling for anybody who had any kind of uh, special skill or expertise, and then trying to figure out where they would line them up with a um, you know a, a government official from Kirkuk to, to help advise and assist and, and be kind of the liaison back to the army of uh, where assistance was needed. So that 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 was starting off, but Jim and I never got to see that that come to fruition, and, and you know that that battalion. Um, n- never got to see how they were, you know, fully utilized in that, that, uh, partner building capacity, uh, cause, cause we were in, in short order, put back on, uh, C-17s and, and sent back to, to Germany so we could move down to Bamberg and become platoon leaders.
1: Now that wasn't the last time you'd go back to Iraq.
0: No, not by a long shot. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, we got, we got back, um, the, the unit had just gotten back from Kosovo. Jim and I had a little bit of time. Um, he actually, he he had de, um, rescheduled his wedding twice because um, he, he had it on the, on the books to, to go back and get married. Uh, and, and then word came down that, hey, we're going to Iraq. Uh, and then we waited up there for a little bit and they said, well, maybe not. So he scheduled it again because uh, he thought he was going to have about five days to leave. And he's like, hey, we're... We we're going to do this. And, and then they came back again and said, Nope, nope. change your mind. Nobody's getting any leave We're we're going to Iraq. And so as soon as we got back, he was like, I'm going back to Dallas and, and getting married. So we, we got a few weeks leave. We went back for Jim's, uh, Jim's wedding. Uh, and, and then we're told in, in short order, hey, uh, get all your stuff out of Vilsec and, and move down to Bamberg. Um, Cause we, we need to start the, the train up. Uh, for for OIF two because third uh, third brigade who had just gotten back from Kosovo was was now tagged to uh, tagged to go back to uh, to Iraq so we had about uh, a, a year let's see we, we got back in July of O three uh, and then by February of of O four um, we had we had gone through. You know all of our artillery tables through our mission readiness exercise at, at Honefells. and you know we're we're back on uh, back on aircraft uh, heading heading back to to Iraq, but it was an Iraq that was you know, and we hadn't been gone that long, uh, vastly different from what we'd ex- experienced on our uh, on our first tour.
1: I mean, at this point, uh, Saddam had been captured. Uh, you had a Sunni uprising. Uh, in the west near Fallujah and Ramadi. And then you had a Shiite uprising near Sadr City and down south in the Jaff. And the yeah, transition it, between 1st Armored Division uh, and 1st Cav was on hold um, because they needed the extra forces. And then 1st Infantry is getting pulled forward um, to backfill 1 AD.
0: Yes. Uh, and, and you know, we... we... We we saw it, um, you know. Looking back, you you could kind of see the, uh, the the writing on the wall. Uh, it, it, in fact, you know, when when we left with the IRTF, uh, General BB Bell, the uh of your commander uh, at, at the time, uh, came down and talked to us at the railhead, uh, and you know talked about what we were doing and how important the mission was, and said, you know, you know, this, uh, you know, you're you're a you're a ready task force designed for a specific mission, expect to be gone, you know, weeks, not months. Well, during OIF-1, you know, once we got to Cook and, you know, there, there wasn't a, a fight and, you know, kind of the logistics of maintaining an armored task force um, that far away, um, that wasn't really doing anything. At, at one point, you know, we were getting ready to redeploy. We had done all the, um, all the loadout planning. We had the the airfield right there, uh, and we were ready to start putting stuff back on planes and fly it back. But uh, General Odierno now is the the fourth fourth ID commander had had come through. His talks been about a week of time uh, in, in Kirkuk. and um, the the night before or the the day before we were supposed to start loading planes to head back. Uh, it came down that hey you know we're we're, we're not saying that you're, you're not going anywhere, but, um, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten word that there's, there might be something going on in this little town called Hoija, um, about 30 kilometers down the road from where you are. Um, your task, you know, the, we, we need the task force to send a, a presence patrol, uh, that night out to Huija, go look around, check it out, then come back and, you know, continue getting on planes and, and get out of here. So we're like, okay, okay you know, one, one last, one last mission. Um, and this was the opportunity for, for people to get out and and do something different. But, you know, we had the, the scout platoon out front. We had a platoon of Bradleys, uh, a platoon of tanks. We had the mortars with us. Um, and it was just supposed to be, you know, a a simple trip down the road, drive around the town a little bit see what, see what was going on. Uh, And then we'll come back and get on planes and, um, about 10 kilometers outside of Fallujah, uh where you know hadn't been any any gunfire or anything um uh, you know for the the two months leading up to that um the the you know the the scout platoon got got ambushed um now it what what those guys that ambushed that scout platoon were were thinking because i i think it ended up being you know maybe about five guys um with a um with a a, a two forty that had been um you know, configured to be mounted on, on a tank with a gunner system, uh, but they had, you know, strapped a, a two by four block of wood to it to make a, a butt stock. And, you know, they, they opened up on the, the scouts and um, one, one, uh, one soldier uh, was, was was wounded, uh, nothing bad, um, you know, what, it ended up being fine. But, you know, we, we had somebody shot um, and, and then, what what followed w- was you know the 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 biggest ad hoc Calfex that I had ever seen. Um, the uh, the Bradleys caught up uh, and they set up a, a support by fire position. The uh, the platoon of tanks came up. You had a platoon of tanks, a platoon of Bradleys. Uh, we didn't get the the mortars involved with my which my uh, FSNCO was living about at, at the time uh, it, and they just opened up everything they had because these were a bunch of people that, that had been itching, itching for a fight the entire time uh, and, and now somebody had given them the chance and and they let loose with everything they had and next thing you know uh, Apaches show up uh, and, and they're firing on this you know this little compound uh, and then a10s uh, came out of nowhere because we had, we had jTAX with us. And A-10s are doing, you know, strafing runs on this little building. Um, it, 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 was, it was amazing to see. Uh, but, um, again, I feel bad for those guys that, that thought, hey, here's just a couple Humvees rolling down the road. Let's, let's get them. Because uh, they had no idea what was behind them. Uh, and they, they just leveled that place. But we went out to Ouija. Uh, you know, we, we kind of circled up outside of the town after that. Uh, got our one injured soldier uh, medevaced um, and you know the next morning did a a presence patrol and after what had happened the night before there was there was nobody that was going to do anything uh, to to that convoy as it rolled through the town Uh, and we went back but once we got back they said hey um, you know based on what happened uh, we don't think now's the right time to to pull uh, the armored forces out of, out of Northern Iraq. Uh, you're, you're going to get a, we will we'll make a decision again in a month. Uh, and at the end of that month was, was when we got told, Hey, you're, you're going back to Germany. Um, and th- that battalion ended up doing a full year in, in Iraq after we left. Cause about the time we were leaving, the, the new decision was, well, let's wait another three months and, and, and see what's going on. But that, that that's a that's a very roundabout way of, of of saying that when when we went back in OIF two, um, we were no longer in in Kurdistan, uh, we were in uh, in Bakuba north of of Baghdad, uh, and there you know now there was an insurgency, uh, and you know we'd been getting fed that that information ahead of time, um, and. You know jim and i were still in a little bit bit of disbelief because what we were hearing coming out of iraq was nothing like what we had seen um but when we got there the second time absolutely there was there was an insurgency and now it was you know uh, at least once a month if not more often there were you know knockdown, drag out fights uh in, in that city and and elsewhere um and, and it, it was uh it was it was vastly uh, Vastly different things Things were, were changing and, and not in a good way uh, from what we had seen earlier. Now, during this period as a platoon leader,
1: uh, as a, a forward fire support officer in support of a maneuver unit, whether infantry or armor, you're in and amongst those maneuver soldiers. How are you being used during OAF-2 as a platoon leader?
0: <laughs> so we, we knew that when we went back you know, most our most units uh, were were being turned into some type of you know mechanized infantry, for lack of a, a better description. did not matter what you did, um, the the need and you know just the the train of, of getting through towns, um, that that's what was needed at the time to you know really canvas the in, entire area. And so, as, as we did our mission readiness exercise, going for that, everybody was training to take your artillery platoon and employ it in a, uh, you know, a a motorized infantry, uh, manner. Uh, so we, you know, we were learning, you know, room clearing, patrolling, um, a a lot of infantry, infantry tactics. So, you know, I, I credit West Point with giving us a, you know, a broad education that, you know, for most of us that, that wasn't, um, that it it wasn't new techniques for most of us. We were definitely, you know, out of practice because we hadn't touched it since we were cadets. Uh, but we at least had a, a baseline of knowledge. Uh, so that was everything. That that was the entire train up. Uh, we had reorganized the, the the battery from you know two firing platoons into uh, three motorized infantry platoons. Uh, we we went through our MRX. We we practiced with the the vampire team. All the you know the room clearing and patrolling. Uh, you know kind of civic engagement type pieces of, um, of what we thought we were going to be doing uh, and then after the MRX uh, our battery was told hey we, we still need a, a firing element out of this battalion uh, in your platoon uh, your, your battery and in, in your platoon are, are going to be uh, the firing elements so um, everybody else is leaving their paladins behind uh, but you're going to take yours, and you're going to provide the the fire support for everybody else that's going out and doing the, uh, the the patrol mission in, in the towns. And and that was uh, that that kind of hurt because you know the um, you know we we were going to be largely sitting on a a, a fob in a, a static firing position and shooting when needed, but everybody else was was going out and getting that. Uh, you know, that infantry platoon leader experience of you know leading troops getting in firefights um, uh, and just a, a a much cooler mission we thought at, at the time uh and, and you know we we thought we were missing out my platoon stayed in in bakiba at fob gabe and my sister platoon uh and and they they went up to to fob normandy uh so what we supported um what was it uh 263 armor uh, and the brigade headquarters in, in Bakuba, uh, they were up with 22 infantry in, uh, in Normandy. Were you guys used? We were. Uh, so, again, you know, being the, the wise lieutenant that I, that I was, um, <laughs> you know, making quick rash decisions about how, how horrible things were and woe is me. Uh, but no, we 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 um, we, we were needed and, and we were used, and it ebbed and flowed. Um, we could we could count on you know maybe one or two fire missions uh, a, a day. A lot of times that they came at night uh, when you know people needed illumination, uh, but occasionally you know there was the, the the call for fire for you know actual HE rounds um, and. and uh, so we, we stayed busy but not as, as busy but at, at the same time there there were, were periods where it, you know it, it's it the the impression you got from listening to the the radios and from the what we were being asked to shoot was that you know everybody uh, decided to, to fight all at once and there there was just battles raging throughout the town the you know the support platoon leader was was constantly on the road running uh, uh, log caps of, of water and ammo uh, out to the units out there uh, and, and we were just shooting non-stop uh, throughout the day um, and you know it would go from those extreme highs to you know back to the lows of you know maybe we did nothing that that night to you know one or one or two rounds of uh, illumination uh, but then also interspersed with that um, at one point, uh, I, I got told, hey, grab, grab two of your guns, uh, go link up at uh, the, the brigade fob, uh, and you're going to fall in with the convoy because we're getting asked to support operations in Najaf. Uh, so we hopped in, did a, it was like a 40-hour convoy by the time it was all said and done. Uh, but next thing you know, we're, we're sitting in a, a, a firing position uh, 10 kilometers outside of the city of Najaf. Uh, we would run through uh, all the rehearsals to uh, ba- basically the 3rd Brigade had the, the mission of, you know, they were going to go in and they were going to capture or kill uh, Al-Sadr. Um, and, and so, you know, all, all, all the way up to the start line, you know, we're out in our, our firing position in, in the desert, had a infantry platoon, uh, that was a striker platoon, the first time we had seen strikers up close, uh, attached to us for security and we're sitting out in the desert for a week as you know they went through all the uh, all the negotiations back and forth and what ended up being you know call it call it off we um we, we got this figured out and you know we, we went back um and shortly after that it was it was time for me to to give up my platoon uh and then i became the uh the uh, the HHB XO and kind of had to find my way, uh, there with that. But, um, about the time I was getting comfortable in in that job and what my daily routine was, um, all of a sudden I got called up to the the battalion talk and told, um, Hey, we need you to go back to your platoon. And I said, what happened to the platoon leader? Uh, he's like, no, he's just on his R and R leave and he's not going to be back in time. Um, but we're we're spinning up again Uh, this time it's uh, it's for Fallujah we're providing a task force in support of Operation Phantom Fury Uh, we need you to take your platoon and you know go back to your platoon figure out what's changed uh, get them ready and in in two days you need to be back at the brigade fob because that's where everybody staged and and you're going to Fallujah and at that point you know kind of a you know I just pinned captain um, you know, but, but I'd, I'd seen this before. I was like, okay, we're gonna go sit in the desert somewhere and then not do anything and come back. Uh, and, and that couldn't have been any, any further for, from the, the truth. We, we got down to uh, Camp Fallujah. Uh, we, again, went through uh, the entire um, uh, spin up for that. The first Mardiv commander came down, uh, talked to us, told us, you know, appreciated what we were doing. Uh, glad to have us as, as part of the team. Uh, and then we went back out to our firing point, and uh, that was in November of 2004. Um, and we, we were the, the, the two guns, that's all they were willing to spare uh, from, from Bakuba uh, to go down uh, and, and support this. But we were the, the, the two-gun fire support uh, for Task Force 2-2 Infantry uh, for uh, the, the Second Battle of, of Fallujah. Uh, and, um, my, my FDO had, had made the bet with the, the battalion fire support officer, uh, before we left that, you know, hundred bucks says we're, we're not even going to shoot hundred rounds, uh, if any at, at this. And within the first day of, uh, of operations, when 2-2 infantry, um, breached the berm around Fallujah and we shot the, uh, uh the smoke screen in support of that. Uh, he, he had lost that bet. And and then for the next month, uh, we, we continued to shoot pretty much nonstop, uh, for a month in, in support of that operation. So those two guns,
1: like what is the Paladin adding to that fight? Um, that is unique that the Marine Corps, I mean, the Marine Corps has close, uh, close air support with Harriers. They have, uh, Cobras, um, they have a lot of assets. What are you bringing with the, with your 109s? Well,
0: the, the Marine Corps had their assets, but they also had their own part of the the city. And we were given, uh, I want to say, looking at the map, it's, uh, you know, the, the Eastern sliver of, of that city. Uh, so w- we were the or organic fire support uh, and everybody was using everything available. There was, a. Uh, um, platoon or a battery from first cab that was there near to us. And I think it was Mike battery from, um, from the first Marine division, uh, was there, but they were all shooting, you know, for their respective units. So we were the direct support, uh, for that. And they had the, they had their mortars, but, you know, we had the ability to, to reach out and, and, and pack a punch, um, at, at, at distance in, in support of that. And it, it was, it, it was kind of interesting because in a in a coin type fight we went back to you know a large large-scale ground combat operations um, um, type tactics uh, when we did that so whereas before the, the you know fire support was you know pre- precise locations uh, for for finite periods of time this this was what we had learned about at, at OBC uh, with 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 uh, Firing in support of maneuvers, suppressive fires, um, uh, providing smoke for obscuration and screening, um, coordinated illumination missions. It, it was a it, it was a full on fight, and it was you know what 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 I didn't get validated in, in terms of, of training at OBC and as a as a fire support officer in in OIF one I I you know, here was the, the first real application of of what I had learned, you know, by the book, uh, and, and how it was applied. And it it was, it was, it was pretty awesome.
1: What was the mood for your, for your, your gunners? Um, just almost a month straight of throwing 75 pound, uh, rounds into those guns. They,
0: they, They were, at the end of it, they were tired, but they were loving every minute of it. Um, You know the uh, for for these guys who you know rightly so had had felt like they were kind of pushed to the side because you know we didn't get the 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 infantry mission and, and somehow that was seen uh seen as you know better than what we were doing up until that point now these were the only guys that in the the battalion that could say that they were you know once it was all done and over that they had applied you know their artillery skills in combat and and those two guns like you said, off, off, off those two guns in, in, in the course of, uh, a, a month and about three weeks of that was the actual, uh, the actual fighting. Um, uh, but, but they did the work of, uh, of, of double that. Uh, I, I brought up in the AAR after the, uh, after the fight was over that, you know, I, I would, would, would have liked to have had more guns, uh, to be able to provide support in the, the battalion commander looked. The infantry battalion commander looked over me. He's he like, we we never lacked for it. Like volume of fire was was not an issue um, when it came to the to the artillery, because uh, somehow those guys made made two paladins seem like four, uh, and and they were dead set determined that nothing was going to keep them out of that fight. The you know the, uh, the the newer ones have an electric system, but you know they, uh, the 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 hydraulics inside the, the turret was all, um, was, was fairly old and not used to that, that level of, um, that level of use uh, for, for a long time. You know, so, you know, hyd- hydraulic hoses were busting, the, the, the rammer uh, would, would break on it because it would just get worn out. Um, and, you know, they, they, they fell back, knowing how to go from, you know, digital manual, like if, if the rammer didn't work, hey that that crew chief immediately had his guys out they put the ramming staff together and, and they started hand ramming uh, every single round they shot and they didn't slow down for uh, you know a heartbeat uh, in fact in some cases they actually got faster when they weren't relying on the, the automated systems uh, if you know digital communications went down between the FDC and the in the gun um, you know they, they dropped right to voice I mean, Everything, all the training kicked in, and, and like I said, they were determined that nothing was going to take them out of out of that fight. I still remember we, we shot so much so quickly uh, that the logistics package that was was planned wasn't enough to keep up. Uh, and at one point, it, and it was it was just dumb luck um, as as we we're getting ready to roll out. Um, one of our battalion's uh, PLS teams had, had okay. been up there you know, dropping something off for us and, and, um, like, Hey, what do we do now? Do you, you know anything else you need from us? And I said, you know, it'd be great to have a, a PLS down there with the flat rack. Uh, why don't you just jump in this convoy with us? Um, and you know, they said, okay. So there's, there's a Lieutenant that just reallocated battalion assets. Um, cause he thought it'd be a good idea and I, I got away with it. But the fact that I had that there, when we started running out of ammo, I grabbed those guys up and it's like, okay, um, let's hop in here. We're, we're going to one of the other, uh, we're going over to the Marine battery. We're, we are going to find ammo to keep us in the fight. And, and sure enough, uh, we got over to the, the Marines and I said, Hey man, I, I need 150 rounds to, to, to keep me going until my stuff shows up. We didn't even hesitate. They said, sure thing, come over here. You know, they, they loaded us up with the, the ammunition and, and we were right back there and, um, didn't, didn't miss a beat. And, it, it, it was, it was uh, hu- hugely proud of you know, this platoon who I thought I'd never get to see in action again uh, when I was made in XO that I, I got to go back and, and, and get to be with them and, and see them uh, do what they did uh, was, was amazing. And, and then at the end, in proper Marine Corps tradition, uh, we all got uh, two beers when the, the fight was over uh so that that was the uh the the, the cherry on the sunday that not only did we get to do that but you know we we were the only ones in the the battalion that ever got to you know ha- have any form of alcohol uh during the entire deployment and and it, and it was sanctioned <laughs> coming out of that mission uh what was the
1: remainder of that deployment like
0: uh so we we got back i you know i had to go back to to, to being in EXO. I, d- I don't, you know, regret the the EXO the time at all, but it, it wasn't as exciting. Yeah, the, there was, you know, kind of the once the adrenaline wore off of, yeah, okay, but I mean, I mean that was in November and we, we, uh, we redeployed in, in March. So we didn't have too much time there w- and, and there was plenty to keep us busy. Uh, we had to support the uh, uh, elections. And so we had a big contingent of, um, uh I C D C at the time, the Iraqi Civil Defence Corps that, that showed up that we had to house and feed and so it was the HHBXO had a, a, a big role in that. I I usually passed my time by just going over and hanging out with the 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 mechanics, um, asking if I could help turn wrenches and, and learning about uh, learning about maintenance so I, I was able to pass the time. But yeah, um that, that was the, the high point and it was it was you know, nothing was going to compete with that afterwards, but, but I came back, uh, you know, from that, uh, absolutely, you know, re-energized and, and happy about the, the choices I had made in, in the army and, and what I was there to do.
1: The conclusion, uh, of your period of, two, uh, OAF two and redeployment back to Germany, what was next?
0: Uh, so, you know, got, got back from that and, you know, prior to leaving Iraq, I, you know, I knew my time was up and I, and I didn't, didn't want to. You know hang around trying to avoid that kind of low everybody gets you know going from from combat where you have a very clear purpose um of, of what's going on and what you're doing to garrison life and i've heard a couple of our other classmates talk about that i was i was determined to uh, avoid that as much as as possible uh so i had i had lined up you know the the earliest reasonable career course class that i, I could get into Uh, so we got back and I only had, um, uh, a a couple months. Um, I think we got back in March, uh, and then I PCS from Germany, uh, to, to Fort Sill for the, the career course by, by May. Coming back to the career course and the lessons
1: learned, um, and then preparing, uh, for your next duty station, reflecting on those experiences in Iraq, uh, what were the big takeaways when you were at the career course?
0: it, it, I, I had, you know, ex- extremely unique experiences in terms of an art- artillery officer that had gotten to do artillery, uh, and, and I was very fortunate for that. You know, we, we also had a Marine in the, uh, the, the class who had been the, you know, the regimental FDO for 11th Marine Regiment when they initially pushed across the, the border. So he, he had done, you know, a traditional artillery job during the uh, uh, initial invasion um, we, we had, you know, s- several of the captains that had been fire support officers in Afghanistan. So they, you know, they could talk to, you know, doing the, the fire support mission over there. But in terms of, you know, somebody who had gotten over, gotten to go over and, you know, uh, not fire support, not motorized, uh, motorized infantry, but done an actual artillery mission, uh, in combat, I, I was, you know, one of one of two who could could say they had done that and and so um i I think it helped kept me from helped keep me from getting too um too jaded uh about what was going on there or or what they were trying to teach um and 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 i I saw that uh, you know a, a lot across the board of you know one you know here's a a bunch of you know New captains uh, that have been to combat and were being taught by the the schoolhouse instructors who hadn't been. And some of them, because you know, just circumstances of, of where they were when everything kicked off, they were at the schoolhouse and there was no way they're getting out. Uh, but there were also a few that you know had no desire to go there and were absolutely you know happy hanging out where they were. Uh, and, and you know, some of them had a chip on their shoulder against. You know a, a group of overly confident and um, boisterous captains who were talking about you know being in the fight um, and, and so there was a, there was a little bit of uh, friction sometimes between the uh, the instructors and the, the the students but you know a, a lot of them had been motorized infantry uh, some more uh, had been you know, because artillery wasn't doing anything, so they became uh, bill pairs. If somebody needed a uh, uh, a battle captain or or something like that at a higher headquarters, uh, so there there was a uh, you know a wide variety of experiences, but not very many of them many of them lined up with what the schoolhouse was was then trying to teach us, which was you know traditional artillery, uh, and, and so I found that I, I was able to. Because of my experiences, um, you know, see the utility of it. um, Because I had had the same mentality of, you know, why am I learning this, Uh, or you know, why are we preparing to do artillery? We're just going to go to Iraq and be motorized infantry. Uh, And then I had actually gone to Iraq and and done artillery, so um, you know, I I I was able to you know provide some, hey, yeah, no, we still do this, and this is what it looked like in Iraq. Yeah, it was a. it was a one-off situation that, that wasn't happening every day over there. Uh, but at least it was some validation that this, you know, this stuff actually works and it's, it's worth knowing. Um, so I, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I think one of the best things that could happen to me in terms of, you know, being an artillery officer, um, not, not cause it gave me a leg up, but it was just, you know, what I personally needed to make sure I, I kept my focus was, you know, being that, Artillery platoon leader in, in combat, vice the uh, the motorized infantry piece. Talk me through the uh, the
1: PCS
0: to Hawaii and company command. Yeah, so the the branch manager came by. Um, you know, I, I had already done one overseas tour, um, looking at the options, and I, and, and I had also you know gotten married while I was at the the, the career course. Um, but he came by and was talking about you know you got to decide you know, what you want to do next. You you got to take into account, um, command cues. That was something, you know, that, that was, that was a whole new aspect of, you know, depending on what you want to do after command, you know, you need to make sure you've got enough time to do it. And so, you know, told us it's going to come down to one thing. Uh, you know, you'll all likely get command. It's just a matter of, you know, how long are you willing to wait to get it? And, um, what are you trying to get out of your your next assignment and so when he said you know hawaii was an option uh but it would be a wait, i I, you know reached out to some some mentors uh people had been there before and they said yep it's that i i knew i wanted to do something different than uh mechanized artillery again i wanted to you know kind of broaden out and see what the the light world was like and so despite the what i knew was going to be a long wait for command said yeah let's and and my wife was okay with it said let's uh let's give hawaii a shot um so you know newly married uh we hadn't even moved in together the closest we got to to moving in because she was uh she was down in dallas and was still teaching and working uh down there the our our first move in together was when she brought all her stuff up in a u-haul and we crammed it into my tiny apartment in Lawton uh, in, in preparation for the the PCS movers to, to show up and pack it all out to Hawaii. Uh, but no, got out uh, got out to Hawaii. Uh, found out that my my fire support instructor from OBC uh, was out was out there uh, in in one of the brigades, and you know just on a whim, reached out to him. Hey, sir, I no, I haven't talked in a while, but um, uh, I'm I'm heading to Hawaii. Do you have any advice on um, on, on what's going on uh, out there or, you know, what, what the unit's different missions are. Uh, and, and he wrote back, he's like, ah, 2nd Brigade's switching to, to strikers. They're going to be doing a lot of, uh, you know, equipment turn-in and, and fielding. You don't want to do that. You want to come to 3rd um, to to Brigade. And I said, I, hey, appreciate the advice. But, we, you know, we didn't really have a say in, you know, where we, where we ended up over there. Uh, it, it was just, you know, show up and the, you know, reception's gonna give you a, a, a new set of orders with, with wherever you've got a report. Um, the other thing I was looking forward to as a light is, you know, having been to Iraq twice, they wanna want to see something different. Uh, a light unit, probably more likely to go to Afghanistan. And I know units from Hawaii had just gotten back from Afghanistan, so it, that also helped it. But I, I showed up there, uh, or before I even showed up there, um, again email from our our classmate ryan petrowski who was the the s1 at the time of 227 infantry said hey you're going to be our new fso welcome to the unit uh you know a a little bit of catching up from our our time in in c2 at at west point but he's you know welcome to the team it turns out that you know after i had made that uh or, or shot that email off to my old fire support instructor he then went and uh Pulled some, pulled some strings and said, Hey, this is the. I'm, I'm glad I made a good impression on him as an as a OBC lieutenant, um, but said, Hey, you know, this guy needs to come over here to, to 3rd Brigade. So uh, I show up and I get orders to, to 3rd Brigade. They had just done the switch where uh, fire supporters belong to the uh, maneuver battalions uh, and reported into uh, 227 Infantry, where I spent the next two years as a battalion FSL.
1: Talk me through um, the next step after that. And, and what did you take away from your time as an FSO? Uh,
0: so, one, an, an appreciation for light infantry. And, well, it, it, it seems, you know, from the outset that it would, you know, be uh, a, a fairly simple thing to do uh, because you don't have tanks. You You know, everything you're doing is, you know, by foot or by Humvee, so you can't move. Uh, necessarily fast but just the the complexity uh, of of what those guys do day in and day out Um, the amount of um, sheer leadership willpower that that makes those units function in a in a highly um, uh, complex uh, environment and how they manage to to build the cohesiveness so in, in terms of team building um, it, was, it was just amazing and, and it, it was um, I learned a, a lot about what makes a good unit um, now I, I, I had come from a good unit in, in Germany and I still look back at, at that as you know one of the, the the gold standards for you know how you build a great team uh, but then when I got to 227 uh, that, that was like the, the graduate school experience in that in, in terms of You know, I I showed up to the hotel on on Hawaii and that that same night, uh, you know, the battalion commander knocked on my door. um, uh, Never talked to him before, uh, but knocked on the door, introduced himself, you know, asked if I needed anything, um, if everything was good with getting my wife there Uh, after Christmas when she was gonna come over and join me. uh, Even even offered to, you know, lend me his car and and just welcomed me uh, to the team, really, uh, really set the tone. Uh, and then in in terms of you know how a a unit builds a culture uh, especially off of its history which uh, the 27th Infantry Regiment has and uh, was prevalent in everything they did uh, and and what that does uh, for onboarding and then maintaining a team um, it it was great and and then also the 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 challenges uh, and I guess learning to expect more out of myself uh, from that because we got a uh, spoiler. You know, we didn't get to go back to Afghanistan and got there and found out. Nope. Yeah, they just got back from Afghanistan a couple months ago, but they're on the patch start for Iraq. Like, oh crap. Um, so here we go again. Uh, but got over there and and you know the things that were asked of me that at first glance seemed like were were just going to be impossible to do. Uh, but then learning to to rely on the team and and just you know make. Make something out of nothing, um, and it, because it was expected, uh, not because they were trying to to test me or um, or anything like that. But hey, you, you're a member of this team. We have we have we have trust in you. Uh, we're going to ask you to do hard stuff, and we're not going to give you a whole lot of guidance on how to get it done. Um, but but here you go. the 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 first time that got dropped in my lap was uh, we had just gone to. PTA uh, and and done a big um, company live fire exercise um, that involved um, uh, mounted dismounted uh, movement to contact uh, integrating mortars uh, and and had Kai you know flying overhead and doing close air support um, we we did that at PTA under a very you know structured range control type environment uh, but there was one company. Uh, that had been uh, off on one of the, uh, the partner missions, and so they didn't get to be a part of it. Uh, and when we got back from, from the Big Island at, at PTA, uh, I, was, I was got pulled into the, the Exo's office, and he said, hey, you were up in the tower the entire time coordinating the fire, so you know how this thing runs. Need you to need you to set up and, and execute the same thing. Uh, for the for this other other company, and looking back on that, that's insane that they, they grabbed their FSO, a an artillery officer whose experience was in the heavy world, and said, "You're going to set up a training event to train and certify a light infantry company for the battalion." Um, but but we pulled it off with the you know the resources that we had at uh, at on Oahu at Schofield Barracks, um, and before you knew it. You know i wasn't given any guidance beyond that other than do the same thing we did on the the big island at uh at pta for for this company here um but went out kind of found the the experts uh, all of them ncos uh, we we pulled a, a plan together worked with range control and before you knew it i mean um we had a a convoy lane that then turned into you know a a dismounted room clearing lane all all live fire too um which which then transitioned to uh you know kind of a actions on contact dismounted um mortars involved and we we couldn't get the uh the kiowas to shoot live uh, on on oahu but you know we had air support too and like I, i still look back and try and figure out how I did that if, if, if I could ever you know figure out what it was that I tapped into and, and do that on a more regular basis but <laughs> it, it's just kind of the the it, it's it's kind of like the scene from old school like hey I'll take that one and then at the, at the end when it's all over I was like what you know what just happened <laughs> where am I uh but I, I I pull it off and you know the the fact that uh Colonel Meyer, Colonel Payne, uh, Colonel Wilson, all all had the confidence in me to, to, to give me that task and then trust me to do it. Um, it's mind boggling, but I look back on experience like that, and, that I, and, and tried to pull things like that into my, you know, my battery command time and then my battalion command time of, you know, just give people opportunities. And so many times they'll rise to the occasion because I mean, if I could do it, just about anybody can. <laughs>
1: I I think that's a a great point uh, to take a short pause uh, and then we'll transition and uh, we'll start the next episode talking about company command. Oh, is this this thing's going to
0: turn into a two-parter for me?
1: Through the Gray has its first sponsor, Urban Industrial Northwest. Urban Industrial Northwest is owned and operated by my childhood friend, Greg Hostetter. Greg and I grew up playing in the woods and hitting each other with sticks. I joined the military and Greg joined the trades. We both love the outdoors and the Pacific Northwest. Please visit his site and see the amazing work he and his team are creating. Urban Industrial Northwest is a furniture and fabrication company specializing in handcrafted products using heritage lumber deconstructed by architectural salvage companies from structures dating back to the late 1800s to early 1900s. Everything from their powder-coated hardware to their top-selling reclaimed wood desktops are carefully constructed by their team in-shop to create one-of-a-kind statement pieces for your home and office needs. Check them out on their Etsy store, Facebook, and Instagram or give them a call at 360-703-6936. And mention this ad for a 20% military discount on your order. And to top it off, shipping is free straight to your door nationwide. Urban Industrial Northwest, giving wood a third life from tree to structure to an awesome piece of furniture. Thank you for listening to Through the Gray. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and follow the podcast. We want these stories to be shared with as many people as possible.